Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's Wednesday, January 31st, 2024, and this is Markets Daily from Coindesk. I'm your host, Jen Sinassi. Let's dive into those prices. According to Coindesk Indices at 8 a.m. Eastern Time, Bitcoin fell over a percent in the past 24 hours, trading at $42,590. Ether was roughly flat over the same time period at $2,302. Interestingly, Ether prices are set to close the month at just over 2% higher, while major NFT indexes have advanced almost 10%. Today's mover in the Coindesk market index for the second day in a row is LCX, up 9.7% on the day. In traditional markets, both the Nasdaq and S&P 500 fell slightly in yesterday's trading. And later today at 2 p.m. Eastern time, the Federal Reserve will release its rates decision from the first FOMC meeting of the year. Half an hour after that, Fed Chair Jerome Powell will speak on the decision. Make sure to tune into tomorrow's episode of Markets Daily for a recap and analysis. Lastly, in commodities, the Brent crude oil benchmark was trading at $81.64 a barrel. Meanwhile, gold was trading at $2,038 an ounce. For more on the market's action, let's bring in Coinbase Institutional Head of Research, David Duong. Let's just get a quick reaction to what you heard going on in the markets this morning. What are you watching? Yeah, I think that there's a lot of technical factors that are driving performance at the moment. And I believe that a lot of them are starting to actually fade. So if the macro backdrop remains positive, which so far it has, and I think that that's the evidence we're going to get from the Fed coming this afternoon, uh, we could actually be up for a pretty constructive outlook for the next few weeks. There was a report that came out recently that said that uh, market watchers might be too optimistic about upcoming rate cuts. Your thoughts there? So I feel very strongly that we're in a disinflationary period. And I think there's been some concern that due to kind of like shipping issues, like problems in the Red Sea, for example, that have kind of potentially put pressure on inflation to the upside. I don't really see that. I mean, number one, shipping costs don't actually add that much to the cost, final cost of goods. I mean, we're talking like single digit percentages. So, I mean, we've kind of over-indexed a little bit to what happened during the pandemic. And, you know, a lot of that didn't have to do with just the issues with the supply chain, but it had a lot to do with the actually producers of those goods. And as a result, we tend to have this thing in our minds of, well, that means that, you know, anytime there's any issues with shipping that add to the value of the goods and therefore inflation needs to go higher. 
the reality is that doesn't tend to happen unless you see something happening with the producers themselves. And in that case, China was still shut down, not really producing, and they weren't able to get their goods out anyway. They're like, well, you know, we have COVID pandemic to worry about. So I think it's much more important right now to be looking over abroad and seeing what's happening in the Chinese economy. And unfortunately, they are, you know, still suffering, not able to give enough stimulus to their economy. Goods prices are very likely to come down on, you know, we're going to benefit from that uh, as the rest of the world. So I think that's something to kind of keep in mind here that, yeah, it's, you know, bad for the Chinese economy, but very likely it's only going to support the disinflationary trends that we're seeing. Break that down even more for me. What do you expect to hear from the meeting today? So I think the Fed is paying attention to this. They understand this. Core PCE came in line with expectations. For example, there's not much trade-off so far as in terms of activity versus inflation. And I think that's kind of the key because we haven't had to sacrifice anything to get the, for the most part, pretty good levels of growth that we've gotten. And that's important because had it been like any other situation, and we know why this has occurred, right? A lot of this had to do with pro-cyclical spending by the U.S. government. Had it been any other situation, I would have said the, the Fed would say like, well, we don't need to do much. The environment's actually okay. But because we know it's been driven more by the fiscal side, and we know that that boost is starting to kind of go to the, you know, move to the backseat, I think the Fed's well aware that, you know, if there's a continued disinflationary trend, Growth is going to start slowing down and you know, maybe we'll avoid a recession, but growth is going to start slowing in the first half of this year. They're very likely going to need to do something or be behind the curve. So I think uh, for me, I'm expecting the Fed to say that, you know, rate cuts are still going to be in the picture. I don't think they're going to completely discount the idea of a March rate cut, you know, um, but very likely it's going to happen sometime between March to June. You noted recently that March could be a pivotal macro month for other reasons other than rate cuts. Unpack that for us. Yeah, I think there's a lot that uh, is going to happen uh, starting in March. And, you know, this for crypto, of course, we are going to be anticipating the Bitcoin halving, which is still going to be a very pivotal point. And, you know, there's a lot of kind of unintended consequences of what we've seen uh, emerging from the spot Bitcoin ETF. And part of that has to do with what's happened in the miners contingent, for example. We saw a lot of uh, miner selling, uh, which added to the pressure that we've had in the last few weeks, for example. I think that that could potentially be another issue as we get closer to the halving, probably post-halving, when the more efficient miners are going to be required to continue, uh, you know, either consolidate with other firms or find a way to kind of sustain themselves. I think that this is going to be probably a key issue, and that's something that's probably going to be realized closer to the March timeline. If the Fed cuts rates around the same time, though, like this will provide very favorable context for the rest of the crypto ecosystem. So I think that's going to be important. That's also probably going to be right around the, the, the time when we'll start hearing more in earnest from the SEC about the potential for a spot ETH ETF, even though the first deadline for that, and I think that's for Van Eck. Is going to be on May 23rd. So I think that there's going to be a lot that we're going to need to unpack when we get towards the March period. I'm glad you brought up those ETFs. We took a look at prices this morning and the price of Bitcoin didn't really react to the spot Bitcoin ETF the way everyone was anticipating it to uh, at the end of last year. What do you make of the sluggishness of Bitcoin's price after that approval? Yeah, so 
I think a lot of people are kind of just watching the short-term flows. And I'm not the first person to say this. I think that we're paying a little bit too much attention to the short-term flows and not enough attention to what we're going to see as, you know, really transformative changes in the next, like the medium to long-term. But right now, there are several kind of offsetting issues that are driving these flows below expectations, or maybe if not below expectations, certainly, you know, it's, it's not what people want to see in terms of like the, the, the huge numbers. So far, the, the flows themselves have been fairly decent, actually, but there's been a lot of rebalancing. There's been people moving away from less efficient Bitcoin holding vehicles to more efficient ones, i.e. ETFs. There's been a rotation away from like higher fee products in some jurisdictions to lower fee products in the US because, you know, a lot of what's coming out in terms of the ETFs in the US are cheaper. You also had, of course, the liquidations from FTX. That was pretty significant as far as their 22 million shares in Grayscale. I think that it was also important to note that, you know, there was a lot of buildup in terms of, you know, people buying spot ahead of these ETF launch uh, or the launches of these ETFs. And, you know, probably hedging themselves with short CME futures. So they were playing the basis. A lot of that's now been unwound. So I think that's why I look at this and say, well, the technical setup looks a lot better than where it was a few weeks ago, because the FTX liquidations, for the most part, seem to be done. There are still some unknowns here, because like Three Hours Capital, which, you know, went unsolvent, of course, they are still dealing with their liquidation proceedings. I think that they had uh, at their peak, like around 38.9 million shares of Grayscale. We don't know uh, how that's going to go down. So there are still some things in, in there that we're not fully sure of how it's going to work out. But for the most part, I think this is why we've started to kind of come back here slowly uh, as far as Bitcoin prices. You mentioned that ETH deadline for the spot ETH ETF, of course, amongst all of the hype for the spot Bitcoin ETF. The price of Ether was pumping because people were looking forward beyond Bitcoin. Now, Standard Chartered said that they expect that approval to come through in May and the price could be as high as $4,000. Uh, I've heard some other market watchers say, you know what, it could take a little bit longer. Let's not get too optimistic here. What do you think the story is for ETH leading up to May? And do you think that we'll see an approval in 2024? So I think the odds of an approval are very high uh, to, to see at least one, if not many, uh, spot ETH ETFs. But it's not going to look exactly like the spot Bitcoin ETF approval. And there's a few things that kind of go into that. Number one, I think uh, we have to be aware that a lot of people are looking forward to spot ETH ETFs to actually include some form of staking, which very likely they, they won't, at least in the first instance. Uh, and there are just some complications to that more on the legal side than there are on the procedural side, because we know that there are uh, exchange traded products, at least in Europe, that do include staking in their, their ETH product. But, you know, there, that doesn't say that there's not challenges to the custody, to the tax implications of this that still haven't been thought, thought through. So I think that that kind of adds to it. But if you don't have staking in that product, it's very hard to differentiate the ETH spot product from the Bitcoin spot product. And I think that kind of goes into the minds of institutional investors as well, who I think they understand Bitcoin as a macro asset pretty easily. But when you go into ETH, then you're talking about something completely different because then you have to really understand the Web3 ecosystem. What does that represent? And 
there's competitors out there that already pre-built. Like we have to deal with a whole like web two ecosystem to like compete with. So for right now, I think people are still kind of looking at something like Ethereum. And this isn't just Ethereum, I mean, this is kind of the whole like layer one slash layer two kind of platform plays anyway. But they're looking at that more as competitors to like upstarts to the existing kind of paradigm we have with tech. So I think that's what kind of makes it hard for the, the case for, for Ethereum, which isn't to say I don't think there's going to be inflows. I think there will be. I just don't think that they will probably be of the same order of magnitude as Bitcoin, for example. So I'm very optimistic. I think that this is going to be an important part of it. But I also don't think that's entirely why people are looking to ETH right now. I mean, ETH has been, for the most part, not well loved, I think, for the better part of like the second half of last year. And even, even I could say, even a little bit into January. And in part, you know, that's because a lot of crypto native players were probably not fully benchmarked to, or rather didn't have full, like the full complement of holdings in, in the Bitcoin. So the, to capture alpha, they moved further out the risk curve, went into the altcoin space. Meanwhile, you have your institutions who were anchoring on Bitcoin. So ETH kind of like existed in this kind of, you know, like black hole a little bit. Now, I think that we have a formal asset class because of the spot Bitcoin ETFs. As a result, I think if you don't have ETH, because there's two key assets in the asset class, whether you like it or not, it's Bitcoin and it's ETH, like you have to have some ETH in your portfolio, because if you don't, that represents real career risk. Like if you don't have Solana, if you don't have AVAX, if you don't have other ones and they perform, yeah, that's performance risk for your portfolio. But if you don't have ETH, then your boss will ask you, hey, why do you not have ETH in your portfolio? And I think that is going to be a bigger problem. All right, David, we do have to wrap, but I have to ask you very quickly what you think the biggest misconception is about crypto markets right now. So I think that a lot of people believe that we're kind of over-indexed on Bitcoin right now, and I don't believe that's true. I think that the next wave of like, you know, there's going to be important like idiosyncratic catalysts, and I'm thinking not just the having, but I think the context around the having itself are going to support like this, this ecosystem more. I think that there's actually a lot more upside for Bitcoin because we're starting to hit that supply wall. So if anything, I think that it's still important to kind of keep Bitcoin inside of your portfolio. And I don't think we're done with the upside move just yet. But that said, yeah, you know, like someone asked me just yesterday, like, hey, what else should I be looking at at the moment? Should I be like, you know, which altcoins uh, are important? Like, should I be paying attention to the launch of Jupiter, for example? And, and like the airdrops are coming. Like, are, are we still in airdrop season? I think that we will see that in the post, you know, spot Bitcoin ETF environment, it's going to be a big deal because number one, the search for yield is going to be a lot more. It's going to probably anchor a lot more on DeFi. That's going to be hugely important because Frankly, you won't have the same kind of like easy trades, like the cash and carry trade that people would play in terms of like going long Bitcoin spot, selling the CME futures, for example, like that's not probably going to come back in the same way. You know, like it's already, we're already seeing kind of more depressed levels there and you're not going to see the same spike ups there anymore. So you're going to need to do something else. And if the Fed's cutting rates and let's say we're down like 4% by the end of the year, for example. You're going to need to find other ways to kind of capture that. So I think like borrowing, lending, and DeFi, those things are going to become a lot more attractive. 
Eats going to be like, uh, I think, a, a winner in my book uh, for the first half of the year. And I also think that probably we're going to see a lot more people rotate into apps away from kind of just pure platform plays. And that might be expressed through places that you can kind of capture that because you're going to try to capture sectors. I don't think you're necessarily going to try to capture the ultimate winner because I think that's still tough. What I mean by that is you're going to try to find a way to play the gaming proxy um, rather than try to like pick the AAA game that's going to ultimately win here because we don't know. Um, but I think that's what's going to be uh, important for 2024. David, thanks so much for joining the show this morning. Absolutely. Thanks, Jen. That was Coinbase Institutional Head of Research, David Duong. That's it for today's show. For more interviews and macro news on the digital asset space, check out Coindesk's First Mover, also hosted by me, Jen Snassi. Markets Daily is produced and edited by Eleanor Paul, alongside senior booking producer Melissa Montanez and executive producer Jared Schwartz. I'm your host, Jen Snassi. We'll be back tomorrow with more Markets Daily. Ah, spring. Nothing like the world progressing towards summer to inspire your own progress. That's what life's all about, in your career, relationships, and your finances. Let's talk about that last one. With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, it's easy to start building credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments with no annual fees or interest. So your weekly grocery run can feel even more productive, and that morning coffee can taste like a little victory. And if your credit scores grow, so could your opportunities to get lower rates on loans, like for a new ride or finally having a home to call your own. Sounds like progress, right? With Chime Secured Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started today at Chime.com build. That's Chime.com build. Chime. Feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. Members FTIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com disclosures for details.